Merry Christmas, everyone, and welcome to this festive edition of Social Work Radio. With me, your host, Vince Piat. I am joined on this festive edition once again by my glamorous assistant and co-host, Tilly Baden. Merry Christmas, Tilly. How are you doing, my friend? How have things been since you were last aboard the good ship SWR? Merry Christmas, everyone. Things are things are going well. So I'm very much looking forward to talking through our review of 2022 and um, reflecting on, on some of these stories that we're talking about today. Yes, let's just get cracked straight into it, guys. So on this episode, given it's our last one of 2022, we're going to do something a little bit different and we are going to go back and have a look at the most popular stories month by month. So we haven't necessarily picked these stories because there's any personal preference or because it's anything that particularly stands out for either of us. Essentially, we've just gone through the statistics on social work news and we've looked for the three most popular stories from every month. That means it's the story you guys have been liking, clicking, reading and engaging with the most. Out of those three, we've picked the story that we feel um, perhaps reflects our memories of that month most or is one that is perhaps more newsworthy and noteworthy and something that perhaps stands the test of time looking back at it over the course of the year. Sometimes there's been duplicate stories or very similar stories that we've excluded. So hopefully, as we go through those stories month by month, we'll have a good spread of what 2022 has been like for social workers. But before we talk about all social workers, Tilly, let's talk about two specific social workers um professionally speaking to begin with how has 2022 been for you as a social worker it's been a really exciting year actually for me so back in was it july or august um i moved over from being a manager within a locality team and an adults team to now my current role which I'm in which is the mental capacity act team um, as a as a team manager there so this was like getting my dream job so I felt like all my Christmases had come at once when I got got off for the job um, it's just such an amazing team I get to practice in my specialism which is mental capacity and human rights and I just get to do what I love every day. Um, and I think that's quite rare for, for a lot of social workers because I know we should all love our jobs, but I, I mean, it can be hard. And I've certainly been in positions before where it's been a bit of a slog. Whereas now, actually, I quite look forward to logging on every day um, nice. and getting to be involved with actually making a difference to people getting their human rights upheld getting people's rights of appeal in for um, people who are deprived of their liberty in care homes and hospitals so professionally speaking I, I'm I've, I've had a very good year what about you excellent Tilly excellent my friend and well deserved and just to reflect on what you said there before I discuss my own year as a social worker you talked about it being a slog when you've got to where you wanted now your success in getting the position that you've dreamed of and that you've longed for, that's kind of a motivator to some people that occasionally, maybe more than occasionally, maybe all the time or most of the time at least, you do have to put up with some things you don't want to do and some difficulties to get the position you want. That's fair to say, isn't it? It is, yeah. Um, and I've 
I've been lucky that I've had a, a broad range of experience with social work I've practiced in started off in children's realized that that wasn't for me I, I am not a child protection social worker that doesn't doesn't suit me at all mm. um moved over to adults and have practiced in lots of different fields learning disabilities older people's hospitals so now that I'm actually getting to sit across all of adults um and and work with all different specialisms every day um yeah that's really positive for me but yeah so for anyone out there that's not quite found their home yet in social work keep going you will find it eventually don't be afraid to change jobs sound advice indeed my year's been really good um it's been really good i obviously the main the main positive is uh relates to this podcast and my role with uh, with social work news i um started working for social work news almost three years ago now i started work no yeah two and a half years ago it was mid 2020 i started working for them and i was working for them initially as a columnist which is something i've done for years for myself and for various other publications and then i was offered a more uh, permanent position with them as a consultant editor so my role there basically involved um advising them on the format of the magazine, on the format of the website, recommending news stories, recommending columnists such as yourself, Tilly, um, basically offering my insight into what might work well and might not work well. And that was a was a roaring success, if I dare say it. I try not to be too egotistical there. You know, it's been a team effort. But, um, yeah, my involvement coming on board with Social Work News saw the, the platform really rock it to be honest um and now I, I i'm happy to say that i don't think there's many people in social work who won't have heard of it and seen our content and um, that was a, a year's contract to begin with and that came to an end over this summer and then social work news offered me a job as content editor which is a more formal more sort of permanent position and within that, I have sort of editorial control over content. So I'm not just consulting. I actually have a lot of say in terms of the content, in terms of what we produce, certain news stories we pick up, themes and so on. And what's been really positive is that social work news have allowed me to focus on the primary goal of what's popular. So as you'll know, Tilly, um, you know, <laughs> preach at the choir here, but for our listeners, um, as you'll know, Tilly, uh, our well, mine and, and you know, the, the aligned view of social work news has always been just to, to simply produce what people want. There's not really an editorial agenda from myself. You know, I don't really have an agenda or, or a certain sort of passions or topics that I like to push all the time. We simply produce what's popular. Uh, we, we, we try to be the voice of profession and, and give people what's popular. And it's been really good this year because I've been allowed to do that. I've been allowed to, to assume that role and focus on producing content and recommending content and curating content, which is what people find popular. And thanks to that, we um, probably um, were the largest social work presence on social media by far. That's a given. Um, our podcast is the most popular. Um, definitely in the UK, in America, there's a couple that are more popular than us. And uh, I think our website is probably 
probably the second most popular in the United Kingdom, just behind community care, but rapidly catching up. So it's been a really good year professionally. Um, and then the, obviously, you know, I could talk about my social work in with that, but I think the main focus I'd like to reflect on is uh, social work news, because that's obviously what, what we're here for, you know, because uh, this podcast is aligned with them. So yeah, it's been, it's been a good year and uh, long may that success continue. Yeah, so I think I'd like to echo that as well. I think it's really important to to celebrate how far Social Work News and, and Social Work Radio has, has come. Um, I'm really excited to be part of that. Um, the fact that we get to produce what people are, are, are clearly liking. Um, as you say, we don't have any particular agendas we just want to raise the profile of social work and ensure that the people that are reading and listening to us are feeling represented yeah definitely that i think what's really positive is that you know whilst we occasionally we have to write about negative stories that's sadly the nature of the news if you were to go on any news channel thinking about mainstream news whether it's a bbc in this country whether it's you know nbc or fox news in america um, a- any platform you want to go on for news inevitably you are majority of the time going to be having to reflect and respond and report on negative things but i think what what social work news does really well is it it never targets individuals i think that's what's really positive about it it, it never it never focuses on sort of straw man arguments against individuals, you know, attacking certain people, dragging them down, looking to, you know, cancel certain figures and have a go at them or really criticizing individuals. I, I think it's even when we even when we have to report on negative news, I think it's 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 done in a kind of way that, well, this is what's going wrong. Hopefully we can improve it. And it's it's really, really nice to be aligned with a platform like that. Let's talk about 2022 personally then, Tilly. Um, just briefly, how has 2022 been for Tilly the human rather than Tilly the social worker? <laughs> um, less successful, if I'm oh. honest. <laughs> Isn't it always when one part of your life is going brilliantly and other part is a bit of a mess? But um, I've had a, a few house moves this year. I've been quite unsettled moving around. Um, I had my lovely childhood pony that I'd have for 20 years. He died this year um, back in October. So that was a really sad moment. Um, But other than that, I can't complain too much. I'm generally healthy. My family's okay, And I've got amazing friends. So apart from that, it's um, looking I'm looking forward to 2023, though. No more house moves. Certainly not. No more house moves, no more house moves. I don't really have much to say personally, to be honest, Tilly. You know, when you get to my age and my stage in life, things are just comfortable. And that's about the best you can say, isn't it? That's about the best you can say. Comfortable, but in a nice way. You know me, Tilly, I like I like routine. I'm a keen you man. You do, yeah. I'm a keen man on routine and order. And, and I don't like disorder. Um, I think the main thing for me this year is I, uh, I've stopped drinking alcohol entirely. I mean, you know, I wasn't really a big drinker anyway, but um, in November, so for almost two months now, 
I uh, almost two full months. Uh, yeah, I've I've stopped drinking alcohol entirely. I just stopped initially for a couple of weeks because I was having some stomach problems, and then I went out to watch the football. It was the first time I've been out to the football and been able to not have a drink. And I was like, oh, I can do this. Because the two things used to go hand in hand. You know, if I ever went to a gig, right, I have to have a pint. Ever go out for a meal, right, I have to have a glass of wine. Ever went to the football, right, I've got to have four pints. It was just, like I say, like routine. It was just disorder. And the first time I went out to the football and realised, oh, this is all right. I can go out and just have a couple of apple tizers. So that's probably the main thing, personally, this year. That's good for you. And I think that's that's really positive that you've recognized that you need to to make that change but i mean hey hey whoa, whoa, hold the line work. hold the well, line let's not no, go no, talk no, about me like i was like... an alcoholic here Tilly, okay let's not let's not let's not go talking no, about me like i was in a dick. I, meant, I meant change for health reasons good, um good. and i think that it's because there is um there is a lot of social stigma sometimes being teetotal it's more socially acceptable often to drink alcohol than it is than to not so I think when you realize that actually for whatever reason your health reasons that you think actually it's not for me that's that's good that you've you've made that change although our social work news catch-ups um when we get to meet up in person will be less entertaining but um, I can be the designated driver moving swiftly on are you ready to go through our top stories month by month for this year? Should we yes, do this? I am. Very much so. Right. So the first story, guys, and you can get all of these, actually. These are all on the um, uh, Social Work News website. So if you just go on mysocialworknews.com, we probably won't be able to fit all of the links in the description because there'll be 13 in total. There'll be a baker's dozen. But uh, if you just Google the headlines um, or, or search, there's a little search icon in the top left of every page on Social Work News, you should be able to find these stories. Um, so the first story I want to talk about, Tilly, is um, a social worker who faked COVID because he was so burnt out by his job. Now, this story um, came out around Blue Monday. So anyone who isn't familiar with the term Blue Monday, it isn't just a banging song by New Order, which is spectacularly referenced in a song by Sam Fender called Will We Talk? It is a label attributed to the second Monday of January, which is said to be the most depressing day of the entire year because It's the time when all of the Christmas blues catch up. You're back at work. The first Monday, generally, you've still got a bit of the Christmas buzz, but the second Monday can be very low for a lot of people. So this story came out around Blue Monday, and basically, um, it was basically a revelation that a social worker had made on Reddit where he'd admitted to feeling uh, so burnt out by his work that he's been faking COVID-19 symptoms to avoid going in. Some of his comments he said is that I barely even slept with the guilt since faking my symptoms. And he was burnt out from a rough two years pandemic of working in the healthcare system. So I'm just going to jump into this. Do you um, do you sympathise with this guy or do you think that he's in the wrong for lying? You know, I know he's, we've used the word fake, but he's lying about it. He's lying about COVID-19 in order to avoid going to work. What's your take on him? I mean, whilst it is wrong, I do really sympathise with him because 
the COVID-19 pandemic when we're in the heart of lockdowns and it was if you think back it was so new and stressful and we had that constant news cycle of more deaths more panicking panic buying um people dying people in hospital and and fearing for your life and fearing for the life of your loved ones and it was such an exhausting time um I think sometimes it's it's quite easy to forget about how terrifying it was but and especially people working in the health and social care sector that were trying to support people who who were either getting COVID-19 or were at greater risk of getting it um no wonder why so many burnt out and we know that health and social care professions have hemorrhaged staff since COVID so I do really feel for him to say actually I'm burnt out I need a break probably should have just been signed off through stress or yeah. or admitted that actually he needed some support from his employer or, or his his healthcare professionals in his own life um yeah faking or lying about having COVID isn't the right way to go about it but I do empathize with him because burnout is a really horrendous place to be yeah. it's it, he must have been a very dark place to do so so I'm not going to judge him for that. Yeah, I, I see where you're coming from, Tilly. And the reason I've selected this story is, well, firstly, it was, um, you know, the second or first most popular story of January. So again, like I said earlier, guys, we are choosing the stories we're briefly touching on uh, on this show, um, judged on what you guys obviously liked and uh, read the most. I pick this one, Tilly, because... It hints at a lot of nuances within social work and where do you separate the person from the professional and where do you offer forgiveness for somebody who isn't doing something you agree with, who isn't doing something you would do yourself, who is clearly being dishonest, but, and this is the big but, have a valid reason for doing that. And and, and I think stories like this uh, are interesting because they it's kind of the fine lines of, of sort of professional integrity because clearly by the book this guy's done something wrong it isn't just something he said that we disagree with it isn't just something he's done which perhaps was made an error this is a conscious decision and he recognizes that himself and that's the key here and you get that a lot in social work england uh, judgments it that that People are given more leeway if they didn't really reflect and didn't really realise they were doing something wrong. But in this situation, he clearly reflects on that. Um, you wish, as you've said there yourself, Tilly, you know, you, you just went and admitted he was burnt out because a lot of people do. A lot of people do, and I'm not blaming this guy, and I don't want to make him feel worse for his decisions because clearly, you know, in his anonymous post on Reddit, and we don't know who he is, you know, he's anonymous. The only thing we know is he's he's from the Republic of Ireland. There are a lot, burnout's one of the main reasons why people take time off sick and social work. And I saw that the, the, the thing that confuses me here is why he perhaps felt there was less shame in, in lying about this than just holding his hands up and admitting it. But again, is that something we can kind of sympathise with Tilly because they're, there is a stigma, isn't there, to, to admitting you're burnt out and can't cope. And so perhaps on balance, would some people rather 
take the risk and lie. They'll admit the stigma of not being able to handle what the work throws at them. It's a difficult one, isn't it? It is. And it's uncomfortable. And yeah, there is a still a stigma around mental health issues. As far mm. as we've come, uh, society has come a huge way in the last sort of 10 years or so um, about recognising mental health and mental health in the workplace as well. But there still is a stigma. You can't deny that. So, yeah, I, I, I sympathise with him. Like I say, he shouldn't have done it, but he's he he's he has reflected on what's happened and yes. and hopefully he he's he's made amends and that and that's that's an interesting point to end on that there because I often think that if we can't show compassion and forgiveness for our fellow social workers, how on earth are we meant to do that with clients, the people we support you know if we can't uh if we can't be kind to fellow social workers and be decent with them and be compassionate then what chance have we doing that to the people we support in our jobs? Yeah, yeah, that's it's one of the key values in social work, isn't it? Be kind, show empathy and compassion. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't take much to be nice to people, or even not to be nice to people, just simply not comment at all. So um, we have commented on that, though, but hopefully we've commented on it in a nice <laughs> way and showed we've understood and not just had a go at the poor guy. Let's move on to February. Um, our most popular story in February by far was a Valentine's Day story. Ten reasons to date a social worker. I'm just going to fire this out to you straight away, Dilly. Have you dated a fellow social worker? And if not, would you date a fellow social worker? Uh no, I haven't dated a fellow social worker, partly because where are all the single men in social work? That's, that's another article. That. We've had an article <laughs> like that before. We've had an article. I don't know who, I think it was by one of our um, one of our anonymous writers. I think, yeah, I think it probably was. I certainly wouldn't have wrote it. Either. We've talked about it on previous podcasts before. Ah, though. yes, um, yeah. It yes. comes up time and time. So, right, so you haven't dated a social worker because you can't find a single male social worker. It would Not that I'm looking for a single male social worker. Adds, adds, no, answers add, into us, please, anyone. If you could message us with offers of single male social workers. Are you out there, please? contact us i feel like i'm trying to find you i try to arrange something for you there. that's inappropriate yeah generation. and i'm probably now going to get unsolicited messages with different pictures that i don't want to see please well, don't what, do that please how don't about that. the kung fu to me how about how about if people send I, i'll be like I, I can be like your own personal like uh i'll be like a screening system i can check them for you and forward the ones that i, I believe match your standards okay yeah I'd quite appreciate that because there is nothing worse <laughs> than internet dating when you get pictures sent through that are unsolicited and things that I just don't, I don't, I don't need to see it. I mean, just a, a simple hello, how are you is, is a fine way to start a conversation, not, not anything else. If you could find a male social worker who wouldn't send you unsolicited pictures, would you date a fellow social worker? Yeah, I, I don't. I don't see why not. It's I wouldn't necessarily look for someone in social work, but I wouldn't discount them either. Um, I suppose you have a, a common understanding. They're hopefully gen, generally nice people, I would like to think. Um, so, yeah, give give them a chance. It, I don't really care what people do as a job. That's, 
that's not doesn't feature highly on my selection criteria I'm more about who they are as a person and their personalities rather than what they do for a living well guys if you're interested in dating a social worker um you can send me an email at uh, actually I won't tell you I'll stop no, it there please I'll don't, leave it there. Please I, don't. <laughs> if you guys do want to look at the 10 reasons to date a social worker go and check that out that was our number one news story in February um, moving on to more somber topics, Tilly. March's number one news story uh, was the news in late March that the mother of Peter Connolly, known to many as Baby P, um, should be freed from jail, is what the parole board said at the time. Tracy Connolly, Peter's mother, was jailed at the Old Bailey in 2009 for causing or allowing the death of her seventh. 15-month-old son Peter at their family home in Tottenham, North London, on August the 3rd, 2007. When publicly as baby P, Peter had suffered more than 50 injuries despite being on the child protection register and receiving 60 visits from social workers, police and health professionals over the eight months leading up to his death. Obviously, the circumstances regarding Peter's death and the multi-agency failings regarding that are well-known within social work, so we're not going to go over those in details. That's something that is a standalone discussion and indeed an entire book in its own right. But in March, there was talk about Tracy being released. Um we haven't got the time to do this justice it deserves, Tilly, but these these topics are always polarising, aren't they? They're always difficult because whenever I post things like this um, about people that have killed their own children or the partner's children, there is a, there's a polarisation amongst our audience. I wouldn't say it's exactly 50-50. The numbers are difficult to engage, but there's certainly there's, there's two massively polarising views. One is a, a very draconian view that people should never see the light of day. And some people, it may or may not be social workers, I don't know, such as the nature of social media. Some people even come from the death sentence for people who kill their own children. On the other hand, you have a very compassionate view which is people like Tracy should be released and should be rehabilitated and essentially the you know the the altruistic and uh, person centered approach that good people do bad things and people like Tracy had horrific abuse in their own childhoods and in their own lives and ultimately were driven to do these acts um, because of what happened to them it's difficult isn't it when stories like this come up because uh, People are very impassioned either way, aren't they, Tilly? Yeah, and I'm torn in too from, from I kind of hold both those views at the same time. Um, what, what she did was absolutely horrendous. I mean, mm. you, can't, you can't put it into words what she did to, mm. to poor Peter. And there is a big part of me that thinks that she should, should never see um, should never be released. I certainly don't, wouldn't ever call for the death penalty. I'm vehemently against that. But um, I, I, I do 
struggle sometimes with the, the sentencing that happens, certainly in, in the UK. I know people listening from other countries will have difference in sentencing, but people getting life in prison in the UK doesn't mean that they get life behind bars. But I, I see the social work side of it as well, that she was an abused person that needed care herself and rehabilitation. And I suppose in these situations, we don't know enough about the facts to, to say whether she's rehabilitated or not. We're not her. We're not the parole board. We're not the people that are working with her with inside inside the prison. So it's hard to say where she's at. And I suppose the only pe- person that does know where she's at is is herself. Yeah, these these ones are always difficult, aren't they? I mean, I I generally don't offer a specific view of my own on this. And it, do you know what? I've, as I get older and I get more mature, Tilly, I'd like to think I get more mature. I have realised it's okay not to have an opinion. I think a lot of people in this modern age are just forced to have an opinion on everything. And when you force people to have an opinion on everything, people can make mistakes because people end up taking opinions without being fully informed of the matter. I, I don't work in, you know, forensic psychology. I don't work in, you know, the the parole system. I don't work in the prison systems. I had nothing at all to do with the trial of Tracy Connolly. I had no involvement whatsoever. You know, the, the closest I got was I interviewed Shannon Shoesmith, who was the director at Hang Ringy and got, you know, infamously sacked live on air by the children's minister, Ed Balls, at the time. I spent a lot of time with Sharon. I met her personally. I got to know her quite well. I, I interviewed her for, um, and focused two chapters in a book that I wrote. And that, that's the closest I've ever been to this matter. But even Sharon had no real involvement in Peter's life. She'd never even heard of the the poor boy and, and, until his death, such as the, you know, the the level, you know, the, the nature of the involvement. It's impossible for every director of children's services to know every single child that the, the local authority is involved with. That's why you have a a chain of commands. So what I do when I, when I do reflect on these things, I, I try, I try to humanize this, the, this, this situation. I try and say, well, okay, here are the facts on both sides. This is, these are the facts regarding the, the heinous abuse that Peter suffered and the awful way in which he lost his life. But equally, these are some facts about Tracy that people might not be aware of, such as the horrific abuse that she experienced herself. And, you know, she was in a relationship at the time. It was a very difficult family dynamic and so on. And it's not to excuse these things, Tilly, when I, when I, when I try and humanise the people at the heart of these stories and, 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 and avoid monstering and othering them. I simply try and point out that, that it is correct. Sometimes good people do bad things equally, on the flip side, there are some people in this world who who commit outright acts of evil. So on the subject of whether she should be released or not, I took no I, I had no opinion on it. Is that lily livered of me, Tilly, or do you see do you see that I prefer to just sit on the fence? Because equally me taking an opinion makes no difference to the outcome also. Why should we have to have an opinion on everything? Yeah, well, you've said pretty much the same as what I've said you can see both sides of it and we don't know enough about the situation let's move on to april's most popular story again another difficult one um our most read story in april on social work news was a man was jailed for threatening to kill a social worker and petrol bomb her office 
Alistair McCluskey, age 54, was jailed for 16 weeks, which means he'll be out now. He'll be out now. He was jailed for 16 weeks for making threats to kill a social worker while armed with a kitchen knife hidden inside his sock. Mr. McCluskey of Carlisle and Cumbria previously called his local mental health crisis team on January the 1st, 2002, to seek the return of property. He believed they were holding on his behalf. When not given the answers he wanted, Mr. McCluskey told the social worker, I'll come up there and I'll petrol bomb the place and burn it down. Weeks later, on the 15th of February, he visited the council office where he was informed the social worker he wished she was not available, at which point he stated, if I see the social worker on the street, I'll kill her. He was searched and he was found to have a kitchen knife hidden inside one of his socks. After having just said there, Tilly, I don't like taking a stance and having an opinion on everything, I'm going to be somewhat unfair and ask you, do you think a 16-week jail sentence is warranted or, conversely, sufficient for a man who made two threats over the course of two months to kill a social worker, petrol bomb her office, and was found to have a knife in his pocket? Is a 16-week sentence, which I imagine he'd be out in eight weeks, is that sufficient punishment for the crime? Oh, I've, you've, you've asked me a very difficult question here, because as you know, and as some of our listeners might know, I am a, a sitting magistrate and I am responsible for, for hearing criminal cases and sentencing people. Um, whilst I think that this case ended up going to the Crown Court, I believe, um, it wasn't the magistrate's court where he, he was sentenced it's it's hard for me to answer that without knowing the facts yeah. of the case and i don't want to criticize a member of my fellow judiciary um i can know jelly i'll be made a, a, a decision on sentencing guidelines i mean the problem is the law is not always sufficient um yeah. and there are certainly laws that i think need to be amended and there should be stricter crime st- stricter sentences for some crimes such as threats to, to kill people in working in, in public services and knife crimes and lighter sentences is perhaps on other matters. So I'm going to just do a politician's answer and not really answer the question and throw it over to you before I get in trouble with them. With my hey, more, more than welcome, Tilly. Bearing in mind you, you're discussing this with a man who literally me a minute ago says it's okay to have no opinion on things. So I was testing you out on that one. Well done. Well done. You passed the test. Um, what I would say in relation to this sentence is... I worry how little of a deterrent it may be. Um, there was a movement last year to try and get social workers the same status as the emergency services. So here in the, in the United Kingdom, attacks against members of the emergency services, police officers, nurses, firefighters and the like, they carry um, stricter sentences than attacks against members of the general public. There was a movement uh, led by Baswa uh, to try and get social workers included in that list of protected professionals. That wasn't pushed through. And one of the reasons why the government cited 
a reason not to push through with it, not to consider the change. It was a massive online petition. I think it got over 20,000 signatures. Is They cited a handful of people who were connected to social work saying having stronger punishments for people that attack social workers uh, would actually create a barrier between us and the people we support. I found that a very strange argument indeed. I found that a very strange argument. And, and given how many social workers have lost their lives over the course of this year whilst doing the jobs and how many more have been seriously attacked whilst doing the jobs, I worry how much of a determined things like this are. That a, a man can make two separate independent threats one to petrol bomb an office, the next one to kill a social worker. And on that next threat, he can be found with a knife upon his person. And yet he only receives a 16-week prison sentence. I worry the deterrent that sets out, particularly in the context of um, having had this kickback from the government that no, you know, we're, we're not going to we're not going to agree that you guys deserve the same protections as as nurses and uh, firefighters and police officers. It, it doesn't sit well with me, Tilly, it doesn't. No, I, I get that, um, but I will decline to comment. Well done. Somebody who didn't <laughs> decline to comment was one of our columnists. We've got a few columnists that write for us under pseudonyms for Social Work News, and one of them is our very own Millie Glass. And our most popular story in May was when she spoke. She was on Good Morning Britain, the most popular British morning television programme. Millie went on and spoke on Good Morning Britain in the context of there being new figures from the NSPCC that revealed abuse cases involving children had increased during lockdown because during the course of the COVID-19 pandemic, referrals to children's services went up by almost a third. And our columnist, Millie, who uh, has been writing for Social Work News a year now, um, she was contacted by Good Morning Britain and she appeared on the show. So firstly, congratulations to Millie for doing that. I'm sure she'll be tuning in, Millie. Well done. You know, we're great supporters of yours at Social Work News. So thank you for continuing all your efforts. And also thank you for going on Good Morning Britain and speaking out about social work issues. Tell me, have you ever spoke in the national media? Have you ever spoken in the national or local media? If so, um, what's it been like? If you hadn't, would you? No, I haven't. Although some people, I've had comments before saying, am I Millie Glass? Uh, no, I'm not, just to put that out there. No, Millie is a, a, a social... Are you, uh, but you are Maisie McDonald. Okay, so I'm not, not really... Maisie McDonald either. Um, <laughs> no, I only write under my own name. Um, I, I How boring! I, I, I kind of, I, I, I kind of, I would like you to have this almost like an alter ego, but you haven't got an alter <laughs> Dr. ego. Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde. No, yeah. no. You can tell very much with the writing style that we are completely different people, but they are lovely. And that's, do you know what, Telly? That's exact. That's exactly what you would say if you were both of these people. But okay, continue. We'll sp spin on. <laughs> Spin on with your little fabrication, okay? Um, <laughs> would you, whether you're using your real name or whether you're using one of your multitude of fake names, would you speak to the national media about social work? Um, 
yeah I think if I was if I was approached um it depends what it was about to be honest um I mean I I would only comment about adult social work matters because that's my I don't would I do it publicly on something like Good Morning Britain I'm not sure because I know that the problem is when social workers step outside of the social work echo chamber they get a lot Mm. of criticism from members of the public um and it can be quite harrowing to get trolled on that respect it's bad enough dealing with trolls within the social work circle sometimes let alone dealing with with people who are angry with social workers um who are maybe not connected to the profession at all so I think Millie was very brave to do that and I know that she did do it anonymously Mm. I would probably want to do that anonymously um unless it was a very safe subject I've uh, I've done both. I've I've spoken anonymously in the past. I stopped doing that about a year and a half ago, about two years ago. I stopped speaking to the media anonymously, and I said, "Look, I'm gonna I'll talk as myself, but I can't. I can no longer talk about things in 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 as much detail as I would used to because clearly, you know, you've got to be accountable. But I don't blame anybody for being anonymous." Um, I think you have to get, give people that right. And I, there's been a long stand, there's a long stand tradition in social work of people writing anonymously. You can look at any of the the main social work publications or you know, professional social work, Basra's magazine. There's a long standing history of people writing anonymously. And that, you know, I'm not I'm certainly by no means criticizing Millie Glass for for speaking anonymously because um we're in a culture, as you say, Teddy, that we have to do that because you get you can get some people out there, they will just target social workers that they have no connection with whatsoever. It's it's scary. It really is scary. It's like it would be like me if I had an issue with a specific GP. Say I went to my GP and you know, God forbid I was misdiagnosed and I had some significant issue with them. Um, okay, I've got an issue with that one GP. But I'm not going to, you know, next time I see a GP on television, kick off on them, try and find out who they are and, you know, go and track them down or, you know, start writing things about them on the internet. I start having a go at them. I say, right, I'm going to hate all GPs because of one bad experience. Um, but I want I want to sympathize with people because, look, let's be honest, there, there are people out there that have genuine reasons to be aggrieved with social workers. And I get that and I empathize with those people and, you know, God bless them, and I hope things work out okay because, you know, there are social workers that make mistakes. We can't hide from that. We often write about that. We've spoken about that before, that some social workers aren't very good at their jobs, some social workers make mistakes, and some social workers leave the people they support in a worse place than they found them. Believe me, Tilly, I don't find any joy saying that, but equally I'm not going to come on this show and lie to people. That's a fact, and we all have to grasp that fact. And if anybody disagrees with me, let me show you a long list of people that have been struck off from the profession for doing heinous things. Now, what I don't understand is why people would have an issue with one specific social work or even one specific department or team or local authority, and yet attack all people in the profession. That's the mentality that I don't understand, Tilly. And that is why a lot of people don't engage with the media because they fear that if they put themselves out there, they're going to get random people attacking them for no other reason other than the fact they're simply a social worker. It doesn't stack up for me. So I, I get why I get why Millie did that anonymously. I don't, 
but I get why a million others do. Yeah, completely. Um, and it, especially in the in the sphere of child protection, where yes. the majority of the emotions run for some reason in the public. We, we've yeah. spoken about that before, about where where child deaths get more coverage than adult deaths. But yeah, I think Millie did a brilliant job on Good Morning yeah. Britain at shining the light on, on the NSPCC story. So. Um, well done to her and I, I don't blame her at all for staying anonymous no well done Tilly even though you haven't been a social worker in children's services for six years you, you managed to speak about it well on Good Morning Britain so excellent work <laughs> um, someone's going to take that out of context now and I'm going to get hate messages now right right um, to be yeah, to be clear, guys, it isn't. It's me. I'm Millie Glass. Okay, it's me. I put on a wig <laughs> for Good Morning Britain. Um, it was me all along. Aha! I feel like you know what it should be. You know the Scooby Doo, the Scooby Doo characters. Yeah, oh, well. the mask reveal. It wasn't. It, it wasn't was the ghost of it. What it, it wasn't the ghost of old old South Pier. It was me. It was Mr. McGregor all along. Um, yeah, I, I loved that. I loved it. I loved speaking to Good Morning Britain. It was excellent sport. Um, moving on. Yeah, don't take credit. <laughs> Millie That's is a not... real person. Oh, okay. <laughs> She's going to be messaging you now saying, oi, stop taking credit. I'm a real I'm a, I'm a real person too, okay? Right, moving swiftly on. Um, you just reflected there, Tilly, about... Um, the impact that media reporting can have, and in particular when those involved in child protection involved, because there is a there's, there's this media bias there, and there's a public hatred, and we're talking about the attacks that social workers can receive. Um, that ended up being the most popular story in June. Um, the news that the social worker um, who was allocated to 10-week-old Lily St. May George, Lily May St. George, who was allegedly murdered by her parents, um, the social worker in court explained that she had 41 allocated cases at the time of the baby's death. Lily May was rushed to hospital where she died of serious head injury. She'd also suffered 18 rib fractures, two fractures to her leg and severe bruising. At the time of this story in June, parents Lauren St. George and Darren Harrell, who were both aged 25 in June, were said to have shaken their 10-week-old daughter to death and were standing trial for the murder. During the course of the murder, Miss Ferguson, social worker with Harangi Child and Family Services, which is the same local authority we were discussing just earlier, who were involved with Peter Connolly. Miss um, Ferguson said she was really worried about the situation. She told the court, I was really worried about her going home. The hospital was really clear about their concerns. We didn't really have anything about how the parents were with the child. I was told that with the management, there had been conversations and there, were, there wasn't consideration for placement at that point and Millie would be returning home. And during the course of giving evidence, um, jurors at the trial also heard that Miss Ferguson was already in her second year of being a social worker when she was allocated to Lily May. At the time of Lily May's death, she had a total of 41 allocated cases. And get this, Tilly, she had 36 assessments on the go at the same time. Wow. What do you think about that, Tilly? 41 cases and 36 assessments. 
how's anyone going to how's anyone how's how does anyone stand a chance with such a caseload they don't and that resulted in in lily may's death and that's such a tragedy but that's not the social worker's fault it's not the team manager's fault that's a system fault there is no way that anyone can practice with that amount of work i can't even i mean i've had large caseloads and i've had lots of assessments outstanding um on the go at once but within child protection time scales that's just physically impossible you you, even working 24 hours a day you wouldn't get that work done in that time to any decent standard anyway so the whole thing was set up to fail yeah i mean that that story was tragic i mean not only because of the the death of a, a a baby girl but the you know, in these situations, the, the the social worker is going to be pilloried. We know what's going to happen. It's been happening for decades, and sadly, it still happens. We were just talking about that earlier, you know, these bizarre attacks on individual social workers for, like you say, systemic failures or, you know, things that are done by parents. You know, that social worker certainly didn't kill the child. No social workers do, but because they're involved, you know, there's this level of responsibility. But... um. Even even if, and this is a big even if, this is a hypothetical if, even if we were to say, okay, we are going to blame that social worker, well, what chance could she have possibly had to do anything more with such a high caseload? That, for me, is, I mean, the 36 open assessments is just mind-boggling, but the 41 cases, that, for me, is around twice what any child protection social worker should have. What chance, and just bear in mind, that social worker was only just over a year into the profession. She was just into her second year. Like, what what, what chance have our newly qualified social workers got if that's what they're going to be facing on the second year? How on earth can you do good practice in such conditions? Not even the most experienced, most dynamic best social worker in the world could do that but it's just physically and mentally impossible you can't do that much work and those children suffered and 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 Lily May tragically died um we we don't have the benefit of knowing if that was a, a contributing factor and if that social worker had had 10 cases would would that have made a difference we will never know but that that should never have been the uh, that should never have been the, the in place at all our uh, number one story for july is a uh, another tragic one um it concerns a 20 year old man who um faced charge of attempted first degree murder with a weapon kidnapping and four counts of sexual battery after allegedly holding his social worker hostage for fifth hours. The social worker who wasn't named told police that Mr. All Swang beat her repeatedly, raped her and strangled her several times throughout a 15-hour ordeal. Court documents at the time revealed that there was initial confusion over where the woman was because Mr. All Swang had allegedly texted his social worker's partner using her phone to say she had been pulled over by the police for a breath test and later to say that she'd been taken to a hotel for the evening. Uh, police were eventually alerted. Police swarmed the property. Uh, Mr. Oswang was shot in the head. 
during the incident um, because her family did raise the alarm and checks were eventually made. But I do have to make this clear again. Um, this man had held his social worker hostage for 15 hours before he was apprehended and the social worker was saved. A harrowing story indeed, Tilly, isn't it? It's terrifying. And I I don't know how that, that social worker... I can't begin to imagine how she must have felt and how she feels now. I just hope that she's getting the right support and therapy and is able to... For, you can't move on from things, but enough to, to to function and survive and this yet another yet another stark reminder of the dangers we face so we were just talking about this when we covered the story from earlier in the year um regarding the social worker who was threatened with stabbing threatened to have our office burnt down and the um criminal involved in that got a 16-week prison sentence and obviously at the time i reflected on my concern that there was this pushback from certain people within our profession and that was used by the government as a reason for not giving social workers the same protection. There were many stories that we ran of this type. I mean, some of these stories, most of them were were the most popular stories of the month because obviously these are captivating stories in the wrong sense of the word. But we haven't gone with all of them, otherwise the this podcast, this review of 2022 would be very samey and and, 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 and very depressing. But- yeah, I, I mean, we just hear these stories time and time again. Yeah. And the, the, the protection around social workers is always lacking. It is a worrying one. Um, something a bit more positive. August's top story. Occasionally have quirky stories that do really well on social media news, which is good because, like I said, when we were talking at the start of this podcast, we like to give people what they want. We like to give people the things that are going to be popular and things that are going to be a bit lighthearted and and hopefully have a a nice range of stories. And August's most popular one was um, about the Danish government announcing a labour shortage list and that they are looking for social workers. So what was special about this one is not only that that Denmark was looking for social workers to live and work there, but that um, Denmark is also the happiest place on earth. Would you consider moving to Denmark? Would you consider, Tilly, moving to the happiest place on earth to become a social worker? Well, what you don't know about me, I don't think I've ever told you about this, is that... um, my grandpa is Danish. Whoa! This is a revelation, listeners. This is a. I know. Well, Colour me shocked. Um, Tell me more. So he was born in Denmark and he spent his childhood in, in Denmark before moving over to England, where he met my grandmother and then had my dad and, and, and so on. Um, but I've got loads of extended family that are still living in Denmark. So I haven't actually ever been there. Uh, the only time I've seen my extended family is when they've come over to to, to England. But I will go at some point. Um, it's, it seems like a lovely country and an amazing culture. Um, and so I feel kind of that personal connection um, that it's in my heritage. So, yeah, I mean, 
maybe one day I could but I don't speak Danish and I think that must be really hard then to practice in a lang- in a in a country where you don't speak the language and I'm rubbish at languages I don't think I, my brain is not constructed to be able to pick that up so that's that's the barrier that's holding me back there but otherwise I'd be I'd be well up for it it's a lovely culture so your surname's Danish mm, it is because people seen... think it's German or Polish, but no, it, it's Danish. And because my grandpa moved um, just after World War Two, um, he got a lot of stick as a, as a young child because people assumed that he was German when when he wasn't. He was Danish, and he they had been persecuted by the Nazis in Denmark because because Denmark was under Nazi occupation at the time, um, and. Yeah, he's it, it is. That's where it, where it comes from. So there we go, Terry. You're going to go out there and uh, you're going to meet your family. Well done. Um, September. September's number one story. Um, this was in reaction to um, a story on the popular British soap opera, EastEnders. So EastEnders um, in early September had a show where a character called Linda Carter had her daughter Annie removed from her by social workers due to concern she was drinking alcohol that may have harmed her child. Watchers of EastEnders, I did watch that episode. I don't watch EastEnders at all. I haven't watched it for about 20 odd years since I was, you know, watching it with my parents. But uh, whenever there's a social work story in any of the soaps, I'll watch it and I have to like catch up. I have to go and speak to my wife and I'll be like, right, because she watches these things. And I annoy her because I have to sit with her for about an hour and I say, right, where have these characters gone? Where's Spider? Um, Where's Arthur gone? And she has to explain that these characters have dead and moved on. So this happened again when I had to watch EastEnders for this story. And it was a shocking portrayal. You know, it was basically, it it was portrayed that one person can make one malicious referral and within a matter of hours, based on a malicious anonymous referral, social workers can just walk in and take a child from parents. I understand fully that there is a certain thing called artistic license that TV shows must use and they cannot obviously show that the full machinations of Section 20 consent and legal meetings and Section 47s and strategy discussions and all the processes which would ordinarily take place. But that being said, to uh, to have one of the most popular television programme in the countries that is watched by millions and millions of people routinely embed this idea that social workers just can just come and take your child willy-nilly was a concern and it was a concern that social workers pushed back on did you watch the episode tilly if so what did you think if not what do you think about the general portrayal of social workers in on on television uh, no i haven't seen it um like you i haven't watched eastenders for too many years to count no. i don't even remember the last time when i saw it um it's it's terrifying for families and it paints social not only is it bad for social workers and it makes our jobs more difficult but putting our perspective aside for the general population it's it's like 
the bogeyman isn't it coming to get you and 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 frightening families unnecessarily frightening children and putting a stigma there for for families that do need support from from social services and social workers to support them through a difficult time and in, when they're in crisis people are going to be less likely to want to come forward and accept that help because of the stigma and and the fear that they're going to be have their, their children removed which just isn't true so yeah as much as I hate it from a social work perspective I massively hate it from just a general population perspective too yeah you're right I think these things wouldn't be so bad if we had a fair representation of social workers in general or if more people knew what social workers actually did because most people can't tell you what a social worker really does. And because we don't have any real significant media presence explaining what social workers do, it leaves the door open for things like this to be accepted as gospel. And that's the concern for me. It's not necessarily, if you just to take this in and of itself, you think, yeah, it's, It's a negative portrayal. It's not great. It's not factual. But the fact that we are so scantily considered in the media that if the only thing, this this genuinely might be the only thing that somebody sees about social workers on TV, apart from negative press about children dying all year, and it simply embeds the idea of social work failures, social workers being scary, social workers as operating in the shadow and being sort of nefarious and secretive and agents of the state. And uh, it's not helpful at all. And that's why, look, we get a lot of response to these news stories saying, oh, you're mourning about nothing, social workers like to have a go. No, it's valid to consider these things. And, you know, I'm glad that we wrote about this and I'm glad we brought attention to it. And the fact that it was our most popular story in September and the fact that thousands and thousands of people read this, commented it, shared it, liked it and so on. These are issues, aren't they? They are. And they're affecting every single one of us. Moving on to October. Um, The most read story of October was... um, An unusual one. In my 10 years as a social worker, I cannot recall ever having heard of this happening before. But in October this year, murder charges were filed against a social worker in America for her role in the death of a three-year-old child who was allegedly killed by her foster carer. Um, Jindawi Mawusi, aged 25 at the time, was contracted to the city of Philadelphia's Department of Human Services when she was tasked with monitoring the welfare of Hope Jones, who a post-mortem revealed had sustained significant physical abuse ahead of her death. And the result um, of that was that she sustained significant physical trauma um, from a head injury in July of that year. Um, Her foster guardian, Kiana Casey, was arrested in July and charged with third-degree murder but the social worker was charged with murder in October. We don't know the exact details of this, Tilly, as when we were discussing another court case. Um, have you ever heard of a social worker being charged 
with murder. We've heard of lots of social workers being blamed in the media, but are you like me and is this the first time you've ever heard of this or are you aware of other times this has happened? No, I haven't come across it at all before. Um, thank goodness. Mm. Um, I mean, we don't know what's what the extent of the charges are. We don't know what happened, whether there was some culpability or not. I, I genuinely don't know enough to be able to comment. Uh, I know that, that obviously the laws in America are different and in state by state they're different. So I don't know what the, the Philadelphia threshold is for murder I know that it's they don't have to carry out the act you can be sort of culpable by liability yeah um but it it's a scary story um and I would like to know more once once things happen and and get shared more within the media yes it 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 was a worrying one this I mean the reactions were People were alarmed by it, is, is the best way I can put it, because it, it gave people cause to think, well, you know, if I make a mistake in my work, not only can I be lambasted in the media, not only can I have people targeting me, tracking me down, writing nasty online comments and blogs about me, not only will I lose my livelihood, not only will I have significant pressure and stress and potentially lose my home and potentially end up, you know, with mental health issues and needing medical support. But as well as all that, um, I could be sent to prison for something that a carer or parent has done to the child I was allocated to. And a lot of the comments on this story when we shared it on Facebook were people saying, well, what's the point in being a social worker then? Why would anybody take that risk for the wages that were given? And I was thinking, I can see where you're coming from because this is something, remember, you know, David Cameron looked at doing this in the UK about six, seven years ago. There was a movement, it was a, policy that he put forward it was never enacted but you may recall this Tilly but David yeah Cameron, I remember yeah yeah he looked at putting in policy that um people such as social workers who didn't basically were, were going to be mandated to report abuse and if we were aware of abuse and did not report and did not take action we could be you know criminally convicted and then it would it would incur quite a harsh prison sentence. I think they were talking about two or three years. You know, you were looking at a strict prison sentence. Now, my concern in that was was how loose that understanding of abuse could be interpreted. And, well, whose accounts are you going by? Who, whose criteria are you judging that awareness of abuse by? Was it an unfounded allegation? Was it a proven allegation? Did this allegation come from the child? Did it come from the parent? Did it come from a neighbour? Did it come from a friend? Was there a management structure? Did you have 41 cases and 36 assessments at the time? There was no consideration given for that nuance. And I'll be blunt, Tilly. I'll be absolutely blunt with you. If, um, if I knew that I could be sent to prison because of the circumstances regarding a parent or carer that I was working with killing their own child, I'm not so social work social work would be for me anymore. I love the profession, but I'm not I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do a job that could see me go to prison because of what one of the people I'm supporting has done to their own child. 
I just couldn't do it. No, no, you have to think of not only your own well-being and, and livelihood and the fact that it would ruin your life, but you've got a family and you've got children, you've got loved ones to think about. And I, and I think you'd find that there's a significant number of social workers that would leave the profession. I, I don't yeah. I don't know who would want to stay. Not yeah. when you can earn, it's not the same wages, but not far off wages from completely different sectors. Yeah, so yeah, definitely. It would be a disaster. Um, there would be no social services left. No, no. And thankfully that never came in in this country, but... Yeah, that story was a, was a worrying one and well-read because a lot of people were alarmed. Um, moving on to last month, moving on to November. Um, one of our most popular stories was in... I've got to, I've got to give a shout-out here, if you'll allow me, Tilly. Um, one of our most popular stories in November was regarding the Social Worker of the Year Awards. Um, we did a podcast on that. You guys, if you want to listen, it's the second podcast, I think. Second or third podcast. Second podcast. Um, in this series, so just go back, check your podcast feeds, you'll find it. So we were going to talk about that. That was one of our most popular stories, but we've already covered it on the podcast. But I did promise my friends in Essex that I would give a shout out to them. So to all my friends in Essex, who I know you listen to the podcast, um, obviously I met some of you guys at the Social Work of the Year Awards. You were the loudest table, excellent. And you won, I think, yeah, they won a couple of awards, nominated for a fair few. So to all our fans in Essex, thank you ever so much for tuning in. I love your support. Now, moving swiftly on. Our number one story in November was about the Social Work of the Year Awards, but we've discussed that already. Our number two story was about social workers receiving a £1,925 pay rise backdated to April 2022. Um, basically, social workers were um, asked by Unison to consider a pay deal. Uh, there was discussion of potentially social workers going on strike, but instead they um, accepted a pay deal which was a 4% increase and also backdated to the 1st of April 2022 and one additional annual day of leave. That equated to a pay rise of £1,925. Um, were you balloted, Tilly? Are you part of Unison? Uh, no, I'm not. Um, not. Not Unison, anyway. Um so I didn't get a say in whether we should strike or not. Um, so I will say that I'm disappointed that our profession accepted the 4%, um, mm. especially now as we're seeing so many other professions that are, are close to us that are striking and are demanding more. We mm. should be getting paid according to the rate of inflation. It's not acceptable that we are getting a year-on-year -year pay cut for work that is just getting increasingly more pressurized mm. um so i'm really disappointed but then again i don't really get a say because i choose not to to pay into a union because i i, I don't necessarily agree with all that the unions do but that's just my personal preference you can get tilly she isn't part of a union um i you know, I'm self-employed. I'm an independent social worker, so I I haven't got a dog in this fight. Um, but the 4% pay rise, 
pay rise that was agreed seems paltry in comparison to the fact that rail workers are striking, have, have struck over the Christmas period, asking for 19%. That nurses have been on strike asking for double digits increases. Everybody else seems to have been looking for at least 10% or more because, of course, inflation is at, what, 11%, you know. When the figures were last released a couple of weeks ago, um, yeah, I think it was about 11% when the figures were released um, in mid-December. It seems paltry in comparison. And again, I have to be very clear, I haven't got a dog in this fight because I'm not employed directly by a local authority. So it sits at ease with me and do critically either way, but I've, I've got to say it as a it. Have social workers just rolled over and, and taken this tilly and had the tummy tickled and, you know, should, should, should they, we, have fought for ourselves a little bit more? I wish we had. Um, and I think it was difficult because at the time when social workers were balloted, it was before we knew about our allied professionals and, and other professions like the, the rail workers, nurses, etc., mm, teachers. Yes. Um, so actually, considering we haven't really had a pay rise, we've had a pay freeze for many years, or we've been given like 1%, 4% yeah. suddenly sounds amazing. And yeah, why wouldn't yeah. you take it? So I get why people were like, yeah, let's just take 4%. That that sounds like a good deal. That's probably the best we're going to get. Um, benefit of hindsight, I suppose, now that we realise that that was pathetic in comparison to what other professions may be getting. Mm. So uh, it's hard to hard to be objective when we know more recent events. Yeah, it's, it's, it, it is a difficult one. I mean, and it's not just the wage in itself. It's what it's what social workers must do for that wage. The toll it takes on us, the toll it takes on our families, and you know, a lot of the things we've spoken about on today's podcast in terms of you know the attacks and the threats and, and the violence and the, the, the pressure and everything. Some of the stories were reflected on having covered that. And uh, yes, a, a well below inflation pay rise, which, you know, if you look over the past 10 years, our wages have gone down about 25% in real terms, does seem somewhat unfair. Um Let's finish on the most popular story of December. Uh, so far. <laughs> just, yeah, well, yeah, we've only we've only got a couple of days left of December, Tilly. So I don't think I don't think in these last couple of days. Who just, knows? New oh, Year's well, Eve could come out with some. Well, okay, some there might be something massive comes out on New Year's Eve, but okay, our 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 number one story of the twenty-eight days of so thank you for being pedantic there, Tilly. <laughs> to be clear, everyone, this is the number one story of the first twenty-eight days of December. And that is well, it was a collection of stories all around the same thing, actually. There was great furore earlier this month when it was revealed that 4,000 social workers were removed from Social Work England's register. And many of those had been removed despite having paid their fee and despite having completed their CBD, they were removed despite their uh, efforts because they had not clicked the correct button. Um, I don't want to be too critical of social work because I don't want to be struck off. But equally, 
Um, I've wrote an opinion piece on this, and I, I've, I've got to be honest, Tilly, I, I called for Social Work England to give people their money back. I thought it was incredibly unfair that I think it was just over a thousand people. Um, so even though four thousand people were, were were taken off the register, a thousand of those it would fall into that category that I was discussing who'd submitted their CPD, paid the ninety pound registration fee, but had not clicked the correct button and fully submitted. Those one thousand and seventeen people were faced with the restoration process, which would cost an additional £135. In total, that equates to an extra £137,000 Social Work England stood to earn if people had to go for that restoration fee for the sake of a couple of days. More worrying still, those social workers that hadn't pressed those correct buttons, um, despite having met the requirements, those social workers were legally not allowed to practice. Having spoken to some people affected, I'm led to believe that some local authorities took the, I think, somewhat you know harsh measure of actually temporarily demoting them to the status of social work assistants and reducing their wages you know, in line with that for the course of the week or so whilst restoration was in place. And not only did these social workers face not being able to practice, they faced a drop in their wages just before Christmas, and they also faced having to fork out £135. Um, I'll lay my cards on the table, Tilly. I thought it was disgusting. I thought Social Work England should have said sorry and given those people the money back. But what do you think? Yeah, I agree with you. It's unacceptable. Um we have a regulator for a reason. Um, and I think some of the work that Social Work England do is, is well, it's clearly needed and, and is valuable. But this was a shambles and that they they need to, to sort it out. And whilst I don't want to call for anything other than just apologising and give them their money back, I, I think that's a reasonable request. Um it needs to be done. It wasn't okay. You can't treat your profession like that. Yeah, I think the um, I think the response to it was quite harsh as well. You know, Social Work England um, actually, you know, that they they responded to the matter. They put out a statement, and we got that via Social Work News. And um, the, the statement said. A small group of people unintentionally failed to renew. And the majority of these people completed their application on the last day. Um, it didn't sit well with me that comment because dismissing it, you know, this was this was you know over a thousand people. I don't think that's a small group of people. You know, that's, no, that's not one or two no. that have done something. Yeah, exactly. That haven't bothered or have yeah. missed a deadline or something. That's that's a significant number. Yeah, it's one percent of all social workers. Now look. One percent of ten people—that's oh, one person. It might be a small number, but you're looking at a thousand people. And if you think of right, let's imagine on average, you know, a safe social work caseload is what twenty. So let's just say you know those all had. Of course, we they probably have for higher caseloads, but let's just say each one of those had twenty. That's twenty thousand um, of the people we support were left without a social worker for that period legally couldn't practice as a social worker. What was the knock-on impact of all that? 
I, it just... I know. And and you think they, those social workers probably had court dates, meetings, yeah. Yeah, yeah. diaries, visits booked, all sorts in their diary. And the disruption to practice when there was not really, I don't think, a valid reason for doing so. These no. people haven't done anything wrong. They're not facing action through that the, the, they haven't committed any crimes they've just not clicked the right button that's just disproportionate and again if it was just a couple of people you can blame human error but this was a thousand people and i'll be honest to you I, I found it confusing because as you know and as i admitted in my um opinion column at the time i left mine you and matt had done yours nice and early i'd left mine in the last week i think i'd done mine about four days before it was due but what confused me when I was doing it was that I I could pay my fee before I'd completed my CPD. And that kind of threw me because I was halfway through my CPD and I, I logged in and it let, me, it let me pay my fee. And I got an email saying my fee had been paid. And that didn't really make sense because I would, I would have thought that, well, surely, like if you say if you were, you'd bought something on Amazon or, or, or other online retailers are available listeners. I bought something on an online retailer such as Amazon. And I, you know, the last thing's the checkout, isn't it? The last thing you do, you've completed everything right now, you've got everything, now you can pay, but it let me pay before I got to the end. So I don't think they're going to do it. I think Social Work England have taken a very, very harsh line. And what what worries me on their behalf is, I expect Social Work England are going to up their fees next year. And they are not doing a good job at selling themselves given there's going to be some very, very difficult news for them to have to deliver soon. I don't think they're endearing themselves to the profession well at all. I've got to be blunt, Tilly, I don't. I think there'll be a mutiny if they try, and well, when they try and increase their fees, because they will. Uh, I, I have no doubt that we have a fee increase coming around the corner soon. Um, you can't treat people like that. We're, we're under enough pressure as it is, and... Whilst I don't necessarily agree with costs rising, I mean, I'm mm. sure they have their own internal costs that are rising and they must be struggling like every department is. But you, you can't be putting prices up when they've made such a catastrophic error when it comes to re-registration. And, 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 this, is, and this is why I don't think they're endearing themselves well, because this, say, for example, they need to raise an extra £2 million pound. Um, they could have written off this as, um, fair enough, it's £135,000 lost revenue. But does it really cost £135 to pay someone to re-register with social worker? Is there really £135 of costs in that? Particularly given these people have clearly, and admittedly by Social Work England, already submitted their CPD and already went the requirements, just haven't paid the right button. Doesn't stick up well for me. And then, and, you know, the, the reaction to this, this news story was covered all across social work media, but it also made the national media. This was in um, the Metro, uh, a free national newspaper, which is given out for free on public transport. And they've also got um, a very popular website. Um, this made the national headlines. And I I don't think it was handled well. I don't, I don't think it was handled well. I, I think what it would have been far better was to... Rather than blame social workers, say, okay, we've learned from this. We realised this was a 1,000 people. This is an error. Um, we didn't believe we'd done anything wrong, but we'll take your feedback on board. 
as a gesture of goodwill, we will waive 50% of the restoration fees. And then when it comes around to them having to share the, the bad news next year that we expect that fees will increase, I think they're going to have a, a bit more favour on the side and people will be a bit more understanding. If the approach is going to be, which is what we've seen here, we're like at a lump it, this is on you. You know, we're blaming the social workers for this one and oh, well, you know, you've got to pay more. This is just what you're going to have to do. If that's the ethos of how Social Work England are handling these stories, it doesn't sit well with me, Tilly. It doesn't. I think that I think they're making a mistake here because Social Work England replaced the HCPC with the hope that they would do better and do more. I'll be blunt with you, Tilly. I've seen no changes whatsoever from the HCPC. And I think this this won't sit well with the community. It's not sitting well with the community. No, it's not. We only have to look at the reactions across social media. They have not got the profession on board with them. No, worrying. Um, meet the new boss, same as the old boss. And that's it, guys. That was, well, less for the next two or three days, that was our number one story in December. Um, let's look forward to next year, Tilly. Uh, let's talk about our professional hopes to begin with. We talked about we started by talking about our, our professional 2022 let's look forward to our professional 2023 what do you want to achieve in social work over the course of the next year well so i've got some really exciting training coming up um, which i might plug on on social work news later on because i'm actually talking about social work england um i'm going to be doing one of the headline training events for Social Work Social Work Week 2023. Um, my council and Bradford Council, shout out to, to Bradford as well, um, combining um, forces with one of our, our top barristers as well to deliver some training. Um, it's really, really looking forward to that. Um, Potentially, we, we have the Liberty Protection Safeguards coming in for adults in England and Wales. I'd say potentially we're still waiting for our draft code of practice. So when that comes in, that's going to completely shift the way that we deal with deprivation of liberty. So it's going to be a big year, I think, even if the go live date isn't 2023 and it slips into 2024. It's still going to be a very, very busy year for me professionally. Always is till you're a, you're, a, you're a busy little bee, aren't you? <laughs> I don't stop. That's my problem. Need to. Like uh, maybe I should spend less time on my professional life and sort out my personal life a little bit more. Maybe, uh, maybe that's where I'm going wrong. Maybe. Who knows, Tilly? We'll know. We'll find out when we do the review of 2023. <laughs> what we're going to do <laughs> is in a year's time, when we do the review of 2023, um, I'll play this clip back to you like, hello to the future. Uh, well, Tilly, do you remember what you said back in those times? Let's review it. That almost sounds like a therapy session, doesn't it? It'd be fun for me, yeah. not so much for you. No, because it'll be, it'll be deja vu. We'll be like, uh, yeah, we, we've been here before. <laughs> it's still again, a disaster. It, that's kind of what a therapist would say. So um, we have been here before, haven't we, Tilly? Um, mm. Right. What do I want? Um, do you know what? In terms of my job, I just want more of the same. I'm happy at the moment. You know, I don't. I've tried management, Tilly. You know, I was a social work manager for like a year or so. And um, 
I don't, I don't, it's not really for me, mate. It's not really for me. I, I There was no issues with the job. I, I'd like to think I made a success of it. Certainly the people that I was managing seemed to like me and I was getting good feedback from the service manager. Actually, the service manager that did employ me as a manager was trying to poach me at the moment. He's looking to he's looking to come and have me manage for him and a new uh, authority he's just gone to. And yeah, I said, it's not really for me. I've, I've retired from, I'm like a boxer. I've retired. I've retired from management. Um, you peaked. Just, yeah, I've, uh, yeah, I've done it. It's not. I, I've, I've proven to myself I can do it. You know, well, I've done it once, so that's it for me. I'll always dine out on the fact I was a manager once. I'm just know that you know my views, Tilly. I've never really wanted to. Uh, yeah, I've never really wanted to climb that ladder, really. Um, so I think just more of the same. I'm really happy where I'm at right now in terms of balancing things between, you know, my independent social work and um, and working for social work news. So just more of the same, really, you know. And it, it's thanks to our listeners. It's thanks to our readers. You know, I just hope that I can continue producing content that people like. Um Let's talk about our personal hopes for 2023 then. You know, those are your professional hopes. You've got exciting trade and, and things going on. Personal hopes, Teddy. What does uh, Teddy the human being want to achieve over the course of this coming year? Well, I've already said I don't want to move house again. I'm done with packing. I cannot cope with any more packing and unpacking. I've I've thrown away my boxes now, um, the, all the cardboard boxes of, of well, not thrown away, gone into recycling because I cannot face it again. Um, I don't know, just be happy, healthy and peaceful, peaceful year. That would that would do me. Well, it's a big year for me, Tilly. I, uh, I turn the big 4 all next year. <gasps> oh, ready for your midlife crisis. Do you not think I'm going through it right now, Tilly? Does well, that explain, I mean... <laughs> does that not explain all of the above? Surely you've known me that long enough. That could have started a long time ago, couldn't it? Yeah, you've, you've known me long enough to, to know that I'm in perpetual existential crisis. Um, on, a, on a serious note, yeah, it's a big one for me. Um, I always I always promised myself I'd have my life in order when I was 40. I used to think I'd have my life in order by the time I turned 30. But when I got to 29 and a half, I realised I had six months left to sort everything out. So that was just impossible. But over over the course of my 30s, I think, you know, I've uh, I've gradually got better and more settled and, uh, yeah, matured, matured into myself. I've grown into myself, so to speak. So, yeah. Well, you're a, a, a very different person to when I first met you. You've, you've mellowed a lot since I, then. I appreciate, I appreciate that, Tilly. I, I, feel, I, I feel that way as well. I feel that um, I'm more stoic in my approach to life. And I only expend energy on things that I can control these days. I think that's the greatest lesson that I've really learned over the course of my 30s in terms of not letting things bother me that are outside of my control. But conversely actually doing, taking action and doing things regarding the aspects of my life that are in my control. I used to waste a lot of time and energy on things that were beyond control and just meaningless, to be honest. I used to waste a lot of time on the internet and social media and computer games and films and stuff like that. And just, yeah, just, just wasting time talking nonsense, to be honest. Strangers on the internet. Um 
people might think I'm doing that now, to be honest, but I'm not. Our listeners aren't strangers. They're just the friends. I consider our listeners. That's why I always say hello, friends. Hello. Hello, friends. Hello, listeners. Friends and listeners. Um, yeah, so I think next year, 1040. So I'm doing, I've seen Bruce Springsteen four times. That's quite exciting. Um, I'm seeing him in Amsterdam, London, Birmingham, and Edinburgh. So I'm looking forward That's to that. Big commitment. Do we get a traveling podcast? Are you going to do your podcast on the road? Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Imagine that. Imagine that. You're coming at you live. Hello, everyone. And welcome to this week's episode of Social Work Radio, coming live from the Amsterdam Arena. I've got Bruce Springsteen here. I wish. Oh, my God. <gasps> can we just, can we get him on? Should we say, just no, go? Oh, come on. I tell you about actually, I did meet Jake Clemens the other day. So Jake Clemens is Bruce Springsteen's saxophonist. So he does a solo. This is this. Sorry, everyone, in advance. Those who don't know me probably won't realise that uh, which of a big Springsteen fan I am. So luckily it's at the end of the podcast. So if you want, if any, any of you guys who aren't interested in Bruce Springsteen, feel free Should to I check log out. Shall I just leave you, you to it? <laughs> you to be interested. You're invested. You're mostly invested. <laughs> this is how much of a fan I am. His saxophonist is called Clarence Clemens, who is the nephew of his long-standing saxophonist, Clarence Clemens, also known as the big man who sadly passed away eight years ago. Um, so Clarence does his own, uh, his own performing, and he was performing at a venue local to me called The Clooney. Um, it was really good, actually. I, I don't, I'd listened to a bit of his stuff on Spotify, but um, I'd never seen him live before. And I went and he was amazing. I thought, oh my God, I've got to try and meet him. Do you know what I mean? So um, I managed to get the set list and I hung around at the end because there was a rumour he's going to come back out. And there's about like 20 diehard fans. You could tell we were all like diehard fans, like all like talking about the boss and seeing him next year. So yeah, Clarence came out. I got to speak to him. He was really, really good. We had a chat. I mentioned how like important his music was to me. We had a bit of a chat and it was really, really good. So that's the closest I've got to meet in the boss. I've got a couple of bits of signed Springsteen memorabilia and all of the shows that I'm going to, I've been lucky. I've managed to get pit tickets. That's like front row. So I'll try and squeeze as close as I can get. I might touch him as he's surfing over the top of us. So that, that's what I've trapped myself to because it's my 40th year. I'm going to do some things that like I've always sort of wanted to do. So seeing the boss four times and, um, I'm also going to go to Las Vegas with some of my mates. That'd be like the partying, the non-alcoholic partying. Amazing. It sounds like you've got a, a good year planned. I have. I have. Um, so my hopes really is just to enjoy myself, just to enjoy myself because um, I don't really think there's anything significant I need to change or need to work on, which is coming on to our next point and our final point for the evening. Um, New Year's resolution is Tilly. Have you got any new year's resolutions for 2023 i mean i probably should have some new year's resolutions um oh i need to spend less time on tiktok i need to lose weight and i need to not work so much but are any of those three things going to happen probably not so i mean i'm just setting myself up for to fail and if we think about social workers setting up smart goals None of them are because <laughs> none of them will happen. So I might as well not bother um, and just be happy in my own skin and just carry on as I'm going, doing the best that I can. 
But that that that's the key, though. Um, and again, without getting too deep, because I need to clarify, this isn't a therapy session, despite my repeated efforts to make it so. Um, <laughs> I don't mind. I get free therapy. It's fine. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> just just shame that five thousand people have to listen into it. But hey, yeah, yeah, it's probably not uh, <laughs> confidential, is it? <laughs> no, no, it certainly isn't. Um, the only thing I would say is, if you are happy, then then just be happy. Because I, I, I always, you know, when I do have the opportunity to offer counsel to people, if people want to change things because they're unhappy, well, that's fair enough. You know, if, if you genuinely are unhappy, then you probably should try and change things. Even if you don't think it's smart, you should probably make an effort because you're going to be happier. But if you're changing things because you feel like you should do or you feel the societal expectations upon you, but actually you're quite happy in that situation, then I don't think you should change. I'm not going to push you for an answer, Tilly. I'm just going to say that's how I would that's how I would contextualize what you've said there. So as long as you're happy, that's all right with me. Yeah, that's good advice. Thank you, Vince. Uh, if there's New Year's resolutions, what I would like to do is perhaps to do the things that I'm already doing, but a little bit better. Because the fact of the matter is, Telly, I haven't got anything left to give up. I used to smoke. I don't smoke anymore. I gave up smoking 12 years ago. I don't drink anymore. I don't eat sugar. I don't eat chocolate. I don't eat fatty food. I don't eat pork. I don't eat dairy. I don't eat wheat. I, I mean, don't... your diet is just a logistical nightmare when we do meet up in person. <laughs> <laughs> I eat clean. I eat, I eat clean paleo food. It's just if 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 it, if my ancestors, the, the my basic rule is if my great 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 grandparents couldn't eat this, then I'm not going to eat it. I like stuff that grows, walks, flies, and swims. If it doesn't grow, walk, fly, or swim, it's not for me. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Yeah. So yeah, I haven't got anything left to give up. I don't gamble. Um, I mean, I, I go Except to bed at half nine every night. What are you saying? <laughs> Except when you go to Vegas, maybe. You've no, got well, that's different. That's Vegas. That's, 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 <laughs> Vegas will be different. Vegas will be like... Um, you get a free pass in Vegas. What's, how, yeah, what happens yeah. in Vegas stays in Vegas. Exactly. So we definitely won't be doing a podcast from Vegas, okay, Tilly? We definitely I won't. I think that's fair enough. <laughs> we definitely won't. Um, the best you might get is a, is a wave in the WhatsApp group. That's all you might get. But yeah, I... I, I I haven't booked when I am going to Vegas because I want to go for either the UFC or a big boxing fight. Like having a week in Vegas and going to the boxing or UFC on a Saturday. Oh, I could I could dine out on the memories of that for the next 40 years. So yeah, I haven't got anything left to give up. Because usually that's what and I even go to the gym now. I go to the gym, I exercise, I've got a push bike, I walk, I oh how boring I am. I need to go oh. to Vegas and have some fun. You do. You're putting me to shame. I'm putting myself to shame. I'm boring myself just talking about this. I, I need some fun in my life. Maybe I'll find it. There we go. I'm a Vegas social worker, and I know we've got a lot of social workers in Vegas listening to us because I see the statistics. Vegas social workers, the V-man is coming. I will no longer be Vince Peters social worker. I'll be the V-man, my alter ego, one of my many alter egos, alongside Millie Glass and Maisie McDonald and Tilly Baden. Um, <laughs> what, me as well? You, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, <laughs> you're talking to yourself, really. This is just a, a different voice that you put on. That's, yeah, yeah, software. So, yeah, I'm coming to Vegas. All right, Tilly, there we go. That was um, That was 2022. 
a good it's selection rough. of stories, a good a good selection of stories in terms of a fair few different things to cover, but I think a common theme in terms of social workers needing better protection, better rights, and needing to stand up for ourselves better. That's how I would summarise our top stories of 2022. Yeah, and uh, let's let's see if the same sort of stories come out regretfully again in 2023. No, no, that's not very positive. No, we're, we're going to have a better year. We can do this. I'm certainly going to have a better year. I'm seeing the boss four times I'm going to Vegas. All right, all right. <laughs> Don't rub it in. <laughs> On that note, everyone. Um... I hope you've all had a, a great Christmas. And if you don't celebrate Christmas, I hope you've had a, a, a great holiday period. I also wish you all the best for your year. Um, enjoy yourself. I hope that 2022 has been good for you. And I hope that 2023 will be even better. Thank you, as always, for your support. We, we launched this podcast in um, November and it's been a great success you guys really like it and of course all your likes all your follows everything to do with social work news your likes on social media your reading of our stories a lot of you submit stories as well you are very much welcome to join us in the course of 2023 until then in 2023 when we catch up again it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from me